stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I am your host, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Vincent Hargrave. Tonight, we are going to go through the NFL Draft Round 1. I know it was, uh, I felt like it was kind of a little stale last night. There was a lack of trades. It just didn't have the same feel. I don't know how you felt about it, Vincent. No, I, I definitely agree that there must be something to having everyone in the same room and you know, some moving and shaking must happen a lot more than we maybe know about. Uh, so I definitely thought it started slow. Uh, you know, but it was kind of, you know, it, it was very predictable, shockingly enough which, you know, I, I didn't think we would ex- we were going to see with all the talent in this class. But ultimately, I think it got very interesting, and I think there's a lot of impact players that came off the board uh, late last night and early tonight. So a uh, lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely so. And I guess we'll get right to it and starting right at number one pick. Uh, LSU going over to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, that that's obviously a great move for Cincinnati. You bring in the best quarterback in college football last year who just absolutely just lit the world on fire. Now you bring him in, A.J. Green. Uh, is Joe Mixon going to hold out? That's the word. If he doesn't get a new contract, that could be an issue. Um, you know, you're, you still need to rebuild this offensive line. Uh, you drafted T. Higgins in the second round as well. So, I mean – you're starting to put some pieces around. I think you need to address a little bit on the O-line, maybe address a little bit of the defense. But uh, I think it's a good start for Cincinnati. And uh, I think Joe Burrow can do very well with some of the weapons that are being put around him. No, absolutely. And I was going to segue in that because we talked about, you know, doing just, you know, round by round. But I think, you know, we can – when they have, have had a second pick, I think we can address it and how it all is going to fold together. And I think that, uh, you know, Joe was the pick. There was nobody else was going to go there. It just – it made the most sense. It's probably the one that – We'll get talked about the most, but realistically, it should get talked about the least because it's been the most predicted pick, you know, leading up into the draft. But, you know, I do think T. Higgins starting off the second round uh, really just puts another weapon. You know, they're they're trying to negotiate with A.J. Green a long-term deal. Cincinnati has all the leverage with, with A.J.'s injury history, specifically last year and sitting out. I'm a big A.J. Green guy, but I think that they either know that he's obviously at the end of his career – or maybe they do have an opportunity to move Andy Dalton or A.J. Green to another team, and now they have a replacement. You know, let Tyler Boyd take that step step up. And with Higgins and Auden Tate and Mixon, you know, they still have real weapons there. And it's not going to uh, hurt Joe and the future of the franchise to be held, you know, handcuffed by Mixon or A.J. Green if they start holding out to put playmakers there. So uh, I think Cincinnati's having a really good draft. Shockingly enough, I think some of the traditional teams are actually doing a pretty good job. And we'll talk about, you know, traditional teams that that are very poor. But I feel like a lot of people have done very well in this draft, in my opinion. But I also think that some of that I, I read a quote today that a lot of GMs and head coaches were excited about the second round because 20 to 25 of those players got first round grades. So this class is just so deep 
that, you know, right now where we're at, we're recording it late in the second round. Now you're getting to the true, you know, air quotes, second round type of guys. But um, I'm looking at some of the best available and there's just so many players. And it looks like we're uh, just about to start the, we're on pick 64 as we're saying this right now. So the end of the second round's happening, probably what we'll get to cover tonight. And it's, you know, I, I think that Cincinnati is set to take a step and we'll see it's a tough division. Uh, but, you know, I think that they've done really well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, we're going to – the way we're going to work things tonight, guys, is we're just going to kind of roll through most of the offensive picks. We're going to kind of skip through them, uh, the defensive picks. Uh, we might stop at like an offensive lineman here or two, you know, just kind of briefly talk about it. But most of, mostly what we're going to discuss tonight is the skill positions and some of the, where those players fit in uh, on their new teams now. Um, kind of roll down, uh, go to stop at number four, Andrew Thomas, George off the tackle, goes to the Giants. I thought this was a really good move by the Giants. They really need to protect Daniel Jones, give Saquon Barkley a little more room to run, and that's what they did. And, you know, uh, Daniel Jones has a lot more weapons around him. I'd like to see them uh, address a little bit of the line, a little more of the defense. I believe they went safety in the second round. So, you know, they're building some pieces over there uh, in New York. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a good step forward. No, really good football moves, which is not Gettleman's strong suit. But realistically, there is no need from a skill position. They need offensive line and they need defense. Like, it should be a boring draft for the Giants for a couple of years because of having Saquon, a very young, skilled receiving core, and Evan Ingram, and a young quarterback. So uh, they should be able to put a lot of pieces around them and – put them in a situation to succeed. So I thought it was a, it was a very intelligent pick by the Giants. Yeah, it's, it's one of those safe picks, not fancy, not classy. It's not going to be on the, you know, you know high, high, high news in the newspapers and New York Times or anything. But, you know, it's a solid safe pick for the, for the Giants. And uh, I think moving with, all on, these, well, with all these tackles real quick, you know, everybody kind of had a different guy at the top of their board. So some people love the pick. Some people didn't necessarily love it. But there are four – or five really, really there's four high end ranked tackles and it's very hard to find a franchise left tackle. So, you know, it's not, he's not going to score you points. You're not going to draft him, but he's going to keep Daniel Jones upright and hopefully open holes for Saquon. So it, the, a lot of these tackle picks, some of them are not going to be the best ones because we don't know who's going to hit. And, you know, we're not offensive line scouts or professionals by any stretch, but I think it's a very, um, a very significant pick for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, moving on to the Miami Dolphins over at number five. Tua gets drafted to the Dolphins. The Dolphins had floated a lot of talk out there about liking Justin Herbert. Um, I really never wavered on Tua and going to Miami. I thought that that had to be the pick. And certainly, you know, the tank for Tua kind of took on a little new meaning towards the end of the season when Miami won a couple games. Uh, they still end up with Tua at five. Um, to me, is obviously the second-best quarterback in the draft. You bring him in now, and you've got some talent on the outside with Devontae Parker. Um, and, and it just – I really could has, – has a good opportunity for him to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick, learn a little bit, little bit about, you know, Miami and the offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a very, very smart quarterback. You know, um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for Tua to learn behind a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick. No, I think Miami is absolutely um, having a great draft. You know, they got the skill player they need. I'm kind of shocked, I think, as you are, that they haven't taken a running back yet. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that running back, you know, we said it when we went around the divisions. I thought that they may wait a year 
And a lot of the high-end true franchise running backs are probably gone now with uh, Akers getting drafted tonight. So are they going to – I'm sure they're going to find a guy to go with Howard, but they probably think they have enough there. And, you know, they have – like we talked about, the receivers were really high on and, you know, the tight ends got a lot of upside. And they're making a lot of good football moves uh, with offensive line, defensive line, and having two a fall to them at five without having to trade up, without – losing any of their draft equity and I'm looking through their list now you know they've gone two defensive players and then an offensive tackle and an offensive guard so reinforcing that offensive line um, you know the defensive players aren't going to affect us much for fantasy but good football moves so they really seem like there's a plan in place and they're building towards it you know if uh, Brian Flores yeah. could have you know just it looks like if he can hold through and we'll see what they do on the back end or some of these other running backs yeah, I really like what they're doing. You know, they they drafted off the line at eighteen. Uh, Austin Jackson out of USC, real big athletic kid. You know, give protect. You know, some of your assets and Tua. You know, and, and I think it's just a really good opportunity for them. And it's, it's a, you're right, it's a great football move for Miami. Um, and I think it's an even better move fantasy wise. I firmly believe in Tua. I think he's a high end uh, quarterback. Could be a high end quarterback one if he stays healthy. Um, given the talent around him, I definitely like to see them out of running back. You know, you've got Mike Jaksicki over there as well. They've got good pieces around them in that offense. Um, can Tua stay healthy? Um, and that's really the the ultimate decider here for him to really project as high as a, a high end quarterback one that I think he can be. No, absolutely. And uh, but you know, having that adding a tackle, adding a guard, understanding his health is the most significant, and it's probably the first time in a long time that you know, maybe even since Marina, that they might have a franchise guy and it's it's nobody doubts the ability nobody doubts the between the ears it's can he stay healthy and can he play so that's what it's all going to come down to and you know I think it's going to be wide open in camp you know they don't owe anything to Ryan Fitzpatrick so he's going to have every chance to start you know week one they got to sell tickets they're going to have a lot of um emphasis there so it's going to be it's going to be interesting I think Fitzpatrick you know could get moved, but they'll probably keep him as a backup, which means they'll probably move Rosen, which makes you wonder kind of why they traded for Rosen. But yeah, that's I another mean, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, I mean Rosen was obviously a shot in the dark, and that clearly failed. I mean, they I think they gave up a second round pick for Rosen, and you know it is what it is. Now you've got Tua, you've got a franchise quarterback. Can he stay healthy? We'll see what happens. Uh, looking ahead to to the Chargers. Um, they drafted Justin Herbert, who they had long been uh, kind of flirting with. Um, heir apparent to Phillip Rivers. He'll sit behind, behind Tyrod Taylor. I don't know how long. I'm not a big Justin Herbert guy. I know he's got a lot of, uh, you know, skills, and he's got a lot of athleticism with his size and speed. But I'm just not sure what type of fit that is over, you know, in, with the Chargers. Uh, and I do like Keenan Allen. They've got some good pieces with Mike Williams and Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler. Um, is Justin Herbert going to be, you know, that person to really propel that offense? Uh, I have a lot of questions about it. I think it may take him a few years uh, to develop, and I'm just not sure Anthony Lynn has that time uh, with the Chargers. No, I, I think that Anthony Lynn is – not where Brian Flores is at all or um, your boy in Cincinnati, Zach Taylor. I think that he does have to win, and he has a team that could win and should win right now. So 
I don't see forcing Herbert in the lineup. I think regardless of, you know, I know you're not as high on Tyrod as I am, but I think Tyrod gives them the best chance to win right now. If it was Tua, I would think differently. So if they feel about Herbert, about how I feel about Tua, then maybe Herbert will give them the best chance. But I don't really see it happening. Um, I hope that it doesn't because I do think that that significantly – hurts the Keenan Allen, the Mike Williams, the, you know, everybody else having that rookie going. Cause I don't think that he is the caliber of uh borough or Tua. So. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting fit over with the chargers. You know, I've never known a, a, an Oregon quarterback to be very successful in the NFL, you know, going back to Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota, Keely Smith, they just don't really seem to produce in the NFL, regardless of them getting drafted high. So maybe Justin Herbert can change that, you know, mindset of people. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, moving down to 10 with Alabama, uh, Jedrick Willis going to Cleveland. Uh, it, it should be interesting to see what they do. Um, I believe that, you know, with adding Jedrick Willis at one of the tackles, you signed Jack Conklin. Um, Conklin really did well uh, in Tennessee, and now you bring him to Cleveland. I kind of like some of the things that Cleveland are doing. You know, you've got Odell Beckham Jr., you've got Baker Mayfield, you've got Nicholas Chubb, you've got Kareem Hunt, you sign Austin Hooper to go along with David Njoku, you got Jarvis Landry, you got a lot of weapons. Um, can Stefanski kind of put it all together and make the offense click? It's possible. I definitely think they're going to have a strong run game, and Jedrick Willis, Willis certainly helps that. No, it's again, it's very similar to what we talked about with the Giants. You're, you're loaded at all the other skill positions. You know, there's no weaknesses there. So build on offensive line and defense, and that's what they're doing with the draft. You know, they went and dealt it in the second round from LSU, which I think is a great value. Um, you know, he was a unanimous first round pick last year. So I, uh, you know, I really think that that's what you need, and you want to see that. You want to see that for Hunt. You want to see that for Baker. Um, and if Baker can, you know, stay upright, and Stefanski's going to try to move the ball and run it hard down people's throat, and hopefully there's just enough points to go around. So, uh, you know, it's not a sexy pick, but it's probably the one they needed to make. Yeah, definitely. And they, I think it also goes. Leave. I think it goes further. Right, and I think it goes further to support the idea that. OBJ is not getting moved immediately. You know, if they thought that was going to happen, those rumors that circulated, is he going to finish his career in Cleveland? Probably not. Almost absolutely not. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen this season unless everything gets blown up and they move midseason, you know, to they move him to a contender for a pick. So uh, it's, uh, you know, again, not sexy, but uh, some you got to you got to have 11 on the field. So, yeah, we'll see what happens, you know. Uh, moving on to the Jets, they uh, they draft Micah, Micah Beckham out of Louisville. Big offensive tackle. I mean, this guy's an athletic freak, but uh, I, I hear some downside about him. Uh, here he has an eating issue. He loves to cook. I mean, he's a big boy. He's 6'6", 360. Uh, can they kind of keep that weight off and keep that weight kind of down? Uh, I'm not real sold on Adam Gaze. I don't think this is a real good pick. And I think this continues the, the spiral down for the Jets and Adam Gaze. Right. On paper, it's like everything we said when you're drafting that tackle, that offensive line. You hope that he can help Darnold. You hope that he can, you know, help the offensive line. But uh, like I said, with these tackles, I'm not going to 
uh, I was down on the Saints taking Andrus Pete, and he's ended up being a very good pick. So, you know, a few years ago, I don't want to sit here and critique offensive line picks because I, God knows, don't do the research, or even if I did, I probably wouldn't know what I was looking at. So, yeah, I mean, it's it is what it is. Uh, moving on to Henry Ruggs and Oakland Raiders, or now I'm sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders drafting Henry Ruggs. To me, this was a total. Uh, Al Davis, Oakland Raiders pick. You're going to take Henry Ruggs over Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb and some other receivers. You know, hey, it's it's John Gruden. He, he they want speed. You know, a Las Vegas Al Davis tradition uh, draft speed, whether it's Darius Hayward Bay or Henry Ruggs or whoever else it is now. But Henry Ruggs goes over to Oakland. You're with uh, you know Tyrell Williams. You're with Hunter Winfro. Derek Carr, uh, is he the answer in Las Vegas? I'm not real sure about that, but uh, I, I just think Ruggs has bus written all over him, to be honest with you. Uh, I, we definitely, when we were uh, group watching this last night, there were very mixed reviews. I thought it was a huge reach based off of who I thought the high-end receivers were. But, you know, Al Davis said, one thing you can't coach is speed. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. I do think Gruden is a – good coach and i think mayock is a good gm so i am interested to see how it pans out i think that he has immediately redraft potential and obviously dynasty potential because they put that capital in them they need them to work out i do think that there is a large void for that in their offense so i it shouldn't take anything away from tyrell williams what he's going to be asked to do is going to be in his skill set so I I think it's a reach. I'm not trying to take anything away. Like I think if you want rugs, I don't under like I think that's where them not being in the room together, everybody being in the room. Like this is a clear trade back situation in my opinion for what everything I saw and read and understood. I don't think anybody was going to go up and get rugs. So I think they could have probably moved a couple spots back if there were an opportunity. And if they had that and they didn't take it, then I think that is a miss. But you know, you go get your guys is what they get paid to do. So yeah, we'll see. They went and got them. So. Um, i tell you somebody else who uh, I really liked. That was Tampa Bay. They get a, some big protection for Tom Brady, uh, bringing in Tristan Wirth, who I thought was one of the top tackles in the draft from Iowa. You know, To me, that's something Iowa always does. Uh, they, they breed offensive linemen, and they breed tight ends, and they do a great job of it. And Tristan Wirth is another example. Bring, brings it in. Uh, you're, you're protecting Brady. You know, good asset, good protection. This is one of the things you need to address, and you address it. Yep, you know I'm, you know I'm going to just parrot myself on how I feel about these tackle picks. I think that if they work out, they're always going to be great picks. So, absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, going down to me, one of the surprises of the draft. Um, you're Denver, you're, you're John Elway and Drew Locke, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you're sitting there at 15, and here comes Jerry Judy sliding right into your laps. Um, I know uh, a coworker of mine who's a big Denver fan, and I'm sure he was probably doing backflips when Jerry Judy slid down to Denver. You pair Jerry Judy across from Cortland Sutton now uh, to go along with Drew Locke and Melvin Gordon and Noah Fant. Then you go in the second round, you had Cage Lee Hamler out of Penn State, who's a real speed demon. I mean, you're telling the AFC West something, and that's, hey, 
we may not be able to stop Patrick Mahomes, but we're going to try to add firepower around our team. And we believe in Drew Locke. And we think we can probably score with KC. And I think that's kind of what Denver's saying here. Uh, to be honest with you, this offense looks real salty. No, it's – I mean, that is a young, solid core right there. And they – I agree with you. Like, they went to go make a statement. Their defense still has enough to where they can win games that way against teams not named Kansas City. But when they go to Arrowhead and they know they got to put up points, they're going to have – freaking players everywhere you know the handler pick was um, uh, really uh, Denver's doing a great job of take taking what's falling to them and I mean uh, Judy was number one or number two on almost everybody's board Hamler was in the top 10 depending on who you asked and now you have the big body in Sutton the skilled route runner in Judy and a speed guy along with a very athletic tight end and by the way Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon in the backfield so they're here to freaking play. They have three third-round picks, so Denver is making a push. And if Locke is capable, there, there's going to be there's going to be some fireworks coming out of Mile High. Yeah, you know, and I think it all now rests on Locke's shoulders. I mean, really investing a lot here in Locke. And let me let me be honest with you, Locke. You know, played at Missouri. He had you know not a whole lot of talent around him often. Uh, yeah, he was often a gunslinger and, you know, had really good, great numbers, you know, when he was at Missouri playing against some uh, SEC East teams. And now you're, you're in lock with Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and Melvin Gordon. Yeah, it's look, it looks interesting, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what Denver's offense is, is going to do in 2020. It's, it's going to be interesting with Jerry Judy. Yeah, it's, it, it... It's very, you know, I mean, and I'm sure we'll dive into, you know, rankings and dynasty value. And we're, I know we're talking about doing a rookie draft, but obviously, you know, J- Judy's going to have value, but it, it, it's really, it's so much on lock. Like it's going to, obviously Sutton is, his ranking is not going to change. Having threats around you make it easier for him to not get solo targeted by the defense. But, you know, where you draft Judy and then they put Hamler with him. I mean, it's just. It, I don't know if it's it's a it's a great landing spot for Judy, and then Hamler going there is great for Locke. But I do think that there's going to be a little you know push pull against each other for redraft value. I think both of them ha- are going to have appeal in dynasty, and it's going to be interesting to see. You know, rookie draft is going to be a lot of fun this year because the where people are landing is going to push I think into the second round of value. Yeah, it's 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 going to be crazy. I'm a uh participate in a Superflex rookie dynasty draft with uh, dynasty FF addict. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm really curious to see where some of these guys fall. And so I'm really excited that draft is actually going to be starting tonight. It's a slow draft. And uh, maybe uh, in the next week or two, we'll kind of you know run through that draft. I'm real curious to see where some players go. Um, speaking of a player who just fell into another team's laps, it's kind of like a, a theme of the draft tonight where some of these offenses get richer and I don't think Dallas really needed a whole lot of help in offense and CD lamb drops in their laps. And I even said it last night we were talking, I thought Jerry Jones would pull the trigger. He absolutely did. You one of the best receivers in the draft to an already loaded up offense. And you know, that's great. Dak Prescott's a top three fantasy quarterback. Um, now you add C.D. Lamb to go along with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper along with Ezekiel Elliott, and you've got a great offensive line. Dallas shouldn't have any problems scoring points. I know that. 
Yeah, I what I'm trying to look up right now, I saw somebody retweeted earlier. Um, I was immediately exactly what you said. Dak is a solid top three. I don't think it is beneficial for Lamb's fantasy value as in a redraft. I think it's great for Dynasty. Gallup, I, it, I think it really hurts his redraft value. I think Gallup's still a buy for Dynasty. But Amari Cooper's contract, $100 million, I think only $20 million, like this year is guaranteed. He's guaranteed no money after this year. So if he does, you know, if he does an Amari Cooper and does a disappearing act or has a foot injury and he doesn't show up but like two games and it looks like Lamb's able to take that next step and Gallup is what everybody believes Gallup's going to be, Cooper could be either on the block or freaking walking. So it's a, it's a complete luxury pick by Jerry. I, you know, these are the fireworks that you kind of wanted to see. This is not having a son in his ear but I don't think it is a bad pick at all for them. I think it's good for the franchise. I think it hurts a lot of redraft value, but it definitely changes the dynamic in Dallas in the long term. So it's really going to be interesting, especially when they're looking to re-sign Dak next year. All of a sudden you get $80 million off by letting Cooper walk or trading him. So you know, it definitely opens that door. So it'll be interesting to see how things uh, pan out in the Big D. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I will say this about the Big D. I think there's trouble on D – for the big D and if they don't address it, which they did in the second, they took Trevor Diggs out of Alabama, um, a safety slash corner who I'm not really, maybe that's just because I saw LSU roast him basically all game against Alabama. Um, so, you know, they added him. I think they still need to add a little more help, but, you know, speaking of fireworks, the next team that we're getting ready to talk about set off some in the city of Philadelphia about an hour ago. Uh, they drafted Jalen Rager last night, who I thought was a good fit for Philadelphia. Someone who I think can be a top wide receiver for rookie and redraft leagues. Um, he certainly had the most has the most potential. Somebody has to catch some passes in Philadelphia. Not name the two tight ends because Alshon Jeffries on his last leg. Deshaun Jackson is as well. Jalen Rager falls in a perfect spot. But today, one hour ago in the second round. Philadelphia decides to draft Jalen Hurts. Now, I don't know if this is more of a signal to Carson Wentz that, hey, is your is your injuries a lot more serious than what people really know about? Are those back injuries really that bad that you feel the need to take Jalen Hurts in the second round? Uh, that's very interesting to me. Um, I don't know if they plan to use him in maybe a Taysom Hill-type package. He's certainly big enough and strong enough and fast enough to be used in that kind of way. But I think this is more of a signal towards Carson Wentz and that his health really isn't up to par. Yeah, I, I didn't like the pick for Hertz because I – well, let's, let me backtrack. I did not like the pick unless what your fears and speculations could be. If he is, you know, one hit away, obviously everybody's one hit away, but Wentz definitely has the injury history. If he – is more banged up or they view him as such, you know, I mean, they won the Super Bowl with Foles, so they know they need a competent backup because Carson's probably going to miss games. In the next year and two, he you know he is going to miss games due to his style and his, you know, his body. I would have loved for him to go to one of the teams with the older quarterbacks where you knew they were on their literally on their last leg. You know, you would hope that I would have loved him in Pittsburgh or in Indianapolis. I don't understand it from Philly's standpoint. I mean, I, I'm high on Hurt, so I guess I do because I see what they see. Uh, I supported the Rager pick. I know there was a lot of feedback, especially locally. People thought Justin Jefferson would, should have gone there. 
I, I didn't necessarily see that. I think the Titans kind of eat up that part of the field. And I, I, I don't think Justin's strength is always being outside. So I think Rager, he's going to be in the slot at least this year. But I think that he, he's going to be – he has really high redraft value. And he may be the one wide receiver because he's going to be the, the number one wide receiver on his team immediately where you can't see that with Judy and Hamler because of Sutton. And it's going to be hard-pressed to draft rugs who is going to be, you know, he's, he's probably going to score like 40 points in one week, but he probably scores you four and some other ones because of what he's going to be doing. And Derek Carr's uh, lackluster ability to go deep. So Rager is going to be really high redraft. I, he has huge dynasty potential because now if you are, were worried about Carson and Wentz getting hurt, I'm not worried about who is that backup going to be. Because, you know, you saw teams last year when the, back, the quarterback got hurt the backup was not up to par, and Foles is gone. So if Carson goes down, I'm up high on Hurt, so I know Rager is protected not only this season but in the future. So Rager has probably the highest redraft appeal at the moment, well, one of the highest redraft appeals for the wide receivers, but he has really, really high dynasty appeal, in my opinion, because you know who the quarterback of the future will be if Wentz can't make it. And if you know if, if Wentz stays healthy, then that's great. Everything's Wonderful, and they just wasted yeah, the pick. I, I agree with everything you just said about Jalen Rager and J- and Jalen Hurts. And that's actually funny that your first two draft picks are, are, are Jalen. That's got to be like the first time in NFL history that your first and second round draft pick have the same name, Jalen. Yeah, it's it, you know what? I think it's going to be more common in the future. I think it's, it's coming. Jalen's going to be a big name in the city yeah, of definitely. Jalen Hurts to Jalen Rieger. That has a pretty good ring to it. Um, Speaking of which, uh, moving on to Minnesota, and Minnesota kind of does what everyone was expecting them to do. You got to replace Steph Diggs. You trade in the Buffalo. In comes Justin Jefferson, who was just a flat-out stud at LSU last year. Uh, he brings you know leadership. He brings uh, raw athleticism. He's got really good speed that was very deceptive, except when he ran the 4-4. But he also has great hands. You pair him along with Adam Thielen to go with Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. And, you know, my one big concern here, and this goes for all the rookie receivers and rookie running backs, if there's no uh, camps like OTAs or rookie mini camps uh, going, in, this would be some of these guys, you know, kind of first taste of, you know, being around each other. You know, it, it takes a lot of time for these guys to mold and, you know, kind of gel together, you know, getting your timing down, getting your rhythm down with the quarterbacks and the receivers and the running backs. And if these guys don't have OTAs and rookie mini camps, uh, I think you're going to see some rookies start really slow out the gate. And I think Justin Jefferson could be one of those guys. No, I, I think that he'll, he'll, he will have appeal. I think he has great dynasty appeal. Um, you know, Kurt Cousins got extended. I think, you know, Thielen – is definitely an injury risk. You know, he's going to step right in that Steph Diggs role. But within a year or two, he could be the number one receiver on that team. So I think that, you know, he's he, he found a very good landing spot. Um, it won't be high. I think it won't be high volume, but I think he and Adam Thielen are going to coexist much more consistently than even Diggs and Thielen, which Diggs is a great receiver. But I think that, you know, with – the routes that Jefferson is going to run in this offense is going to fit his mold. It's going to be really, 
really it, it's one of those picks that you just see it like to me like it would have been – he would have scored points in Philadelphia, but I think this is a great football and fantasy fit in Minnesota. So I, I thought it was a great pick. I think that it's going to be really interesting going forward, especially, you know, Thielen, who's coming off of an injury. Uh, Justin's going to have to be on the field regardless, and he's going to – could get a lot of opportunity early, and if Thielen gets banged up, he could be the number one immediately. So he's going to be a really big high upside guy. You know, he, he's – I think he's easily a first-round dynasty guy, and you know he's going to flirt with that. You know, once you get past those solid stars at wide receiver in your redraft, you're going to start reaching for your guy. And you know, uh, I'll probably never end up with Justin Jefferson because you know we're in South Louisiana. Everybody kind of goes to who they have, so who they want and who they know. So he's going to be. I'm going to. I'm really looking forward to reaching out to the guys that I work with in different parts of the country and seeing where he's going in their drafts because I, I always like to compare. I do a, a work league where we my distributors come in and I have guys in Chicago and Philly and Canada and the um, Carolinas. And it's always funny to see everybody's value and how they value picks. You know, most of our people in our league are in our draft. But it's definitely I, – I, I, you talked about the FF Dynasty Addict. I mean, I, we may be in the same one uh, depending on when he starts it, which one we got in. But I want to know how – I'm going to be interested industry-wise and, you know, nationally – how they view this pick and his value. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm real curious to do that draft and just to see some of the, the valuations for the rookies. Um, uh, this next pick, and you talk about uh, people not knowing players and reacting in a way and just, you know, more familiar with players that they know. Um, the New Orleans Saints go out and draft Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan center. Um I had a lot of coworkers uh, texting me last night and melting down over this pick because, you know, the Saints drafted Eric McCoy last year, but I think this spells, you know, bigger issues for the Saints offensive line. I think, you know, Larry Warford has probably played his last snap uh, as a Saint. He can be a post June 1st cut and the Saints can save $8.8 million against the cap. And I think this pick kind of indicates that and points to that. And lastly on that, when the Saints lost last year to Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs, the reason they lost is because Drew Brees was getting pressured up the middle. Guess who's up the middle? Larry Wartford. Now you replace him with uh, one of the top center guards in the college football last year. No, I, it, again, you, you talk about these teams where due to the Emmanuel Sanders signing, they didn't need that wide receiver it would have been a very Jerry Jones pick, you know, a luxury pick type of situation, but they do need to support that offensive line. Um, I thought they would have gone linebacker only because they, that was a need. I really thought that was going to be a Patrick uh, McQueen landing spot. If they, you know, especially after Jefferson was taken, but uh, you know, it's just, they, they obviously have a great ability to scout talent, you know, especially once they brought in uh, Ireland to consult and assist, they've done, really well about evaluating the right guys and guys painting out. And I am done doubting the saints drafting because they are much smarter than I am. And I get proven wrong all the time when I yell at them. And I don't think that there was that need for particularly anything. I mean, you ask any league experts, they are one of the most well-rounded teams in the league with the fewest holes. So shoring up an offensive lineman. And when you hear Sean Payton talk about him, um, he is, really gifted and Sean Payton describes him as like a generational type of guy. He's like, you don't see these types of guys often. 
And the more you watch, the more you kept wanting to watch. So I'm going to go on the side of Sean Payton. It was not sexy. They need linebackers. Hopefully they address that uh, as the draft yeah, goes on. And I, I'm not going to question Sean Payton. I look back at some of the offensive line picks that Sean Payton and the Saints make, and it's pretty hard to argue with some of the results they've had because they've had pro bowlers and all pros, whether it's Ryan Ramchek, Taron Armstead, Eric McCoy was all rookie last year. Andrews Pete has been pro bowler. You can't really argue the pick. I think the Saints know what they're doing. And, you know, they're just beefing up, you know, one of their strengths, which has been kind of the story of this draft. Teams um, building on strengths, you know, just like Denver and uh, just like Dallas getting CeeDee Lamb. These teams are building on strengths. Um, the next team here, San Francisco, and they had a wide receiver in Brandy Ayuk. I'm, I'm kind of happy that they didn't snag CeeDee Lamb. Instead, they moved back, get some picks, and acquire Brandon Ayuk, who, you know, is a great talent at Arizona State, but – passing and catching the football is not exactly San Francisco's mentality. They would rather uh, have a big bruising offensive line to run the ball down your throat. And they would be happy if Jimmy Garoppolo attempted 12 passes a game and ran for you know 200 yards a game and won the game, uh, you know, 18, 17 to 10, uh, because that's the style of football they like to play. I just don't think this is a great fit for IU from a, perspective it might be better from an nfl perspective from a fantasy perspective though i don't think uh you're probably you're probably not looking at someone like this in a redraft league dynasty he's probably more of a second round pick in a rookie in a rookie draft yeah i think he'll definitely have a, a little bit of dynasty appeal uh he definitely is not the first name that's going to pop off the board for somebody that you would look to even a dynasty want to contribute this year but what i will say about Ayuk that goes into the mindset of San Francisco. The one thing that Debo Samuel and Kittle and Ayuk do is freaking yak. I mean, they are yards after the catch guys, you know, Debo takes it on the reverses and takes little short slants and freaking breaks a tackle. Kittle's trucking people after the catch. Ayuk is an after the catch guy. He has huge yak yards. Um, I, I just, I think it's a, that is, it's a great fit. And I agree with everything you said about the volume he's going to see. And it's going to be very frustrating because I, I kind of feel about Ayuk. I think it's a great pick, but at the same time, like I'm not a Debo guy. So I feel the exact same about both of them. Cause I think they're both very similar and they fit the scheme flawlessly. And I think they're going to be very creative about getting him the ball, getting Debo the ball and the running back of the week, the ball. And obviously Kittle's going to get his, but I think it's very, telling to what they want and how they look at things. And as we say this, the New Orleans Saints take an outside linebacker with the 74th pick. So the Saints there we decided go. to trade up. Um, this is, this was, but, that was a pick that I, I thought the Saints would maybe make in the first round, and they ended up getting him in the third round. So, you know what? That's, that's why they get paid the big bucks, and me and you are doing podcasts in closets and bathrooms and basements and, you know, attics. So, but, you know, I, so I do think that it fits the scheme. It's, uh, you know, I, I agree with you about the draft value, but, you know, first round pick, they're going to want him involved. But I think San Francisco spreads everything around so much that it's never going to turn into anything immediately. Yeah, you're right. Um, this next pick uh, obviously set kind of the Twitter world on fire. And that was the Green Bay Packers taking Jordan Love. I mean, shocked the hell out of me. I think it shocked the hell just about everybody in the, around the country. Um, I think this really spells doom for Aaron Rodgers. 
and the rest of this offense. I, I just think this is a – you're basically dropping a bomb off, I think, in the Green Bay locker room. Aaron Rodgers are already kind of mentally stable, unmentally stable. They say he's very – he's not very approachable. He's not very friendly. And I don't think this is going to do that locker room any favors. Rodgers always, already got Mike McCarthy pushed out the door. And now it looks like Green Bay has kind of figured out, hey – Let's go ahead and draft the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers and, and kind of give him the nudge we gave Brett Favre out the door uh, to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Green Bay does dirty their quarterbacks. I mean, there's no way around it. What I can't wait for is the Aaron Rodgers return tour because he is going to be a Brady, a Favre, a Peyton, and that sucker is going to go win another Super Bowl somewhere else. I don't know where it's going to be. You know, you, you want to move on from these guys before their time's up, and it's a very thin line, but all these guys still have gas in the tank. And those guys we name who are of the caliber of Rodgers or Rodgers of the caliber of them, they've proven that within a couple of years, you know, Montana, you know, they can you can still go win with these guys just because that's not your future. And it's a tough spot to put the franchise. The, fran- the franchise is in a tough spot, but not only do they just – blow up Aaron Rodgers, who I agree with everything you said. Like, he's borderline Scientologist crazy. But then they go and draft A.J. Dillon in the second round, only to, like, I told you they want – I told you weeks ago, they wanted a third running back. Oh, we could see another guy coming. I'm like, what? what is going on? Like, what? They're just draft – like, they have a quarterback. They, they were in – correct me if I'm wrong. They were in the NFC Championship last year. They have a probably Hall of Fame quarterback, and they have – Two very good running backs. So what do they draft? A quarterback and a running back. Oh, like you're building for the future now? Like I just – I have no idea. Like they are having an awful draft. It would have been completely different if the Saints would have taken love at their pick, if love would have fell to the Steelers, or if the Colts would have decided to go on love. Like if they thought that was their guy because you know that you're on a borrowed time. But I understand that Aaron Rodgers is a collarbone away from being out for the rest of the season – but he doesn't look like he's nearly close to the point that Brady and Breeze and Ben are at, you know, uh, unless it's just me. Like, I think there's a lot more years left with him. And it's just, it, I, it, it, it's not good. Yeah, it is not good. Then you add A.J. Dillon to that offense with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, just like you said. And, like, I, I think the only person I want a part of this offense in fantasy this year is Devontae Adams. I don't think there's anybody else on that offense that I want any part of at their value. Cause I mean, it's certainly not Aaron Jones at this point. Cause you bring in AJ Dillon now, who was a great running back at uh, Boston college, you know, big physical presence and really fast. And yeah. Oh, and absolutely. Now you pair him with Aaron Jones and who, and Jamal Williams, who I thought was pretty good last year as kind of a one, two punch. I'll, the only person I want on this offense is Devontae Adams, unless I can get Aaron Jones at a, a low price or Aaron Rodgers pass like the tenth round. Right. No, I I agree. I'm, I, I know you're a, a stern burner or whatever your boy at tight end, but I, I, that's a dart throw. You, I mean, if he ends up contributing, that's great. But I just, you know, we I, I was mocking Chicago earlier, which I I still think is having the worst draft, but this. Right now, to me, not that I don't love pun intended their players, it's just because I'm okay with Jordan Love pretty much anywhere but here. And I'm AJ Dillon guy, like I thought that he really could be like 
a guy, like when you get to some of where these other running backs landed, like I think if he ended up in a situation like that, it would be much better for him. I just – I like the talents. I just don't – I don't understand what they're doing over there. I just – I don't I don't see it. It's like – it's literally like two fingers, like, you know, F you, you aren't my people. I don't care. Like, yeah, um, I don't As I don't we talk it. about this, uh, value alert, Keyshawn Vaughn gets drafted to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the third round. Wow, that's a really good fit for that offense. And Keyshawn Vaughn's value just probably went up by a round in rookie redraft leagues in, in Dynasty. Shit. He's the – he's – I redraft – well, redraft round, he's the second running back. Think so. Rookie running back off the board. And in Dynasty, and in Dynasty, he may. I mean, he may be knocking the door of the close. first round. Yeah, it's, that's that's that. That's a nice spot. Uh, yeah, Tampa's, they are. They're Tampa's having a great draft. Well um, our last guy that we're going to talk about tonight, who kind of surprised everyone, but in my opinion, is just a great fit, and I'm really so happy for this kid because he's a hometown kid from Baton Rouge, straight out of the Catholic high. That's uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair, man. I think he's just a great fit. One stat I saw the other day about Edwards Elair in his in his last year at LSU, he is the only running back in SEC history to rush for a thousand yards and catch fifty passes. Um, wow, I did not know that. That was a crazy stat, but that just kind of shows you that uh, Edwards Elair can do it all. And I feel like he is a great fit for the Kansas City offense. I think he vaults up the draft board for. Uh, redraft and dynasty. I think he is the number one uh, dynasty running back and the number one rookie redraft running running back at this point right now. Yeah, and I don't see anything that can happen because Tampa was probably the best landing spot left. And what can happen that's going to change that perspective? Uh, feel great for Clyde. Did you see the video with Andy yeah. Reid and the GM when they FaceTimed or Zoomed him? I mean, that was their guy. If he was there at 32, because a very complete team, obviously they just won the Super Bowl, They that was their guy. And they called Mahomes, and they're like, hey, if you get a pick, who do you want? And he's like, I want Clyde. Like, he is handpicked by Andy Reid. Andy Reid said he looks like Westbrook's film, but he's better right now than Westbrook was. And Brian Westbrook is like a man crush of mine, like fantasy-wise and just in general. Like, that is huge comparison He's going to get the volume. Uh, whatever Williams is left is about to get traded or cut just to save cap space. Damien's a good one, theoretically. Air quotes, good one. So Damien's done. He's getting cut. You got three LSU running backs in the locker room, so that's good for us between him and Ware. But they're going to be making room. So there's a. I have a lot of running backs that I need to remove from my dynasty roster now because Clyde just killed them but at least I didn't have the equity of some of these other guys we're about to talk about invested in. So I I feel great for Clyde. I think that he is going to be a PPR freaking junkie this year. Uh, He's going to have every opportunity to score touchdowns. He's going to get the ball. He's going to get the catches and the best offense in the league gets freaking more dynamic and it's disgusting. And I want every piece of Kansas City. You know, I'm kind of thinking for Clyde, I'm thinking like LaShawn McCoy-ish in that Philadelphia offense. And LaShawn McCoy had so many really good seasons at Philadelphia. And I'm thinking just a little bit better than LaShawn McCoy with Kansas City and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because Philadelphia didn't have Patrick Mahomes. They had Donovan McNabb. Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes. And I just think it's a match made in heaven for fantasy 
for NFL and everything else. It's going to be a great pick for them. I don't know if you saw this earlier, but uh, Fabiano with NFL Network, he freaking uh, tweeted something late last night, you know, does he have the opportunity to be a three down back? Can he pass protect? And I'm like, are you like, did you watch film? Like, I know like we're vested. Like I'm not, I know Fabs knows a lot more about a lot more players than I do, but like, did you watch any film with Clyde Edwards Lair? Like, did you just only watch the highlights and the skill plays? Like that sucker could do everything. Like absolutely. He can pass block. And Andy Reid has always wanted a three down back. And everybody thought that if they passed on a running back, it was because Andy had accepted this committee approach. It, Clyde's – I don't care who's on it. That's not going to be running back by committee. Andy Reid's history, I'm all in. His history's in on it. You know, I, I'm i not going to get a piece of him at Dynasty, but it's going to be great for whoever does. And redraft-wise, I'm probably going to go out of my way to get him because wherever I draft, it's going to be hard for somebody to argue with me that the starting running back at the Kansas City Chiefs is going to be a reach wherever you take him. You know, obviously there's the big three, the big four, but he, you know, once we look at our rankings again, I mean, he's going to settle into that top tier of running backs just because of opportunity and volume and the skill set. Like there's very few better places so, he could have gone. I started doing some re-rankings today and I put Clyde Edwards Elair inside my top 24 and I am, well, oh, I I, I, I'm thought, with you there. Easy. Man, that feels a little conservative. <laughs> Yeah, be bold. Yeah, be bold, I mean, Adam. it's just a great fit. But, uh, you know, that kind of wraps up the first round. Uh, we're going to stop here and call it a night, and we're going to get ready to watch the rest of the draft tonight and tomorrow. We'll be back on Monday to discuss the rest of the draft. Otherwise, I hope you all enjoyed our first-round analysis. Uh, looking forward to talking uh, the rest of the draft on Monday. So thank you guys for having a listen. Uh, if you get a chance, follow us at Fantasy Pandemic on Twitter. You can follow me at Fantasy Cajun, and you can follow Vincent at FF Littlefinger. Thanks, guys. Good night, guys. Remember, knowledge is power. <laughs>